Would you remain standing as we read God's word? Today we're reading from 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, beginning with the first verse. Here the Apostle Paul writes, This is how one should regard us, and he's saying this is how one should regard us who are leaders in the church or apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul says, I've applied all these things to myself, an apostle, and Apollos, an apostle, for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one preacher against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you become kings. And with that, you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God is, has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We're weak. You're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Here ends the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Today uh, we're continuing our sermon series on Paul's letter to the ancient city of Corinth. Uh, Paul traveled about the Roman world and he planted churches. He, he started churches in uh, cities throughout the Roman world. And one of the cities in which Paul uh, planted a church was the city of Corinth. Uh, the city of Corinth. And that's why it's entitled... Uh, the letter to the Corinthians, or First Corinthians. And what we learn as, as we read through Paul's letters 
to the church in the ancient Roman city of Corinth is that that, that church was a, was a messy church. It was a messy church. And I've been thinking, you, you know, really, every, every church should be a messy place. Because Jesus came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And if, if the church is, is the place where, where sinners like you and I, people who, who miss the mark, are gathered together, that means that the church is going to be a messy place. Because the church is, is gathering of real people. Real people with real problems. Real people who have made a mess in their own life. Now, I don't know if if you uh, would agree with me, but sometimes I would say my my life's a mess. My family's a mess. My church is a mess. So there's no reason for us to enter here into into the sanctuary, into this place, into the fellowship of believers and to pretend that we don't have any problems. We ought to come into this place knowing that this is a safe place for people who have a messy life. Like me and like you. One thing can can really uh, make the church even Messier than it needs to be, I guess. And that's a lack of humility. And what Paul is talking about today in in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is the the issue of humility. And as we acknowledge that, that the church is messy, our lives are messy, our community is messy, everything's a mess, we can also say there is a perfect Savior. And this perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, humbled himself. He humbled himself as a servant for you and me. So there's one thing that will make a church really messy, messier than it really needs to be, and that is a lack of Christ-like humility. So there are, there, uh, there's a, a piece of paper that was, you could have grabbed it when you came in here. And I hope you will grab those if you'd like to follow along and take notes for the sermon. But following our outline today, point number one is this. A humble church has a correct view of leaders. And this echoes the the first point that I made uh, last week. Is that a mature church uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't have too high a view of its leaders. So a humble church has a correct view of leaders. And the, the word that is used uh, for servants in, in the first verse that we look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we, we read this word servants in verse 1, and, and it's, this, uh, it's this Greek word that literally means one who is directly subordinate to a master. One who is directly subordinate to a master. Literally an under rower. It's an interesting word in the Greek, this word for servant. There's a word for servant, which is doulos. 
And doulos is where we get the term slave. Oftentimes Paul will refer to the, the leaders in the church as slaves for Christ as, or as bond servants of Jesus Christ. Or he'll, he'll use the word from which we get the word deacon, which is a minister, one who ministers to others. But here he uses this word in Greek, which is literally an, an under rower. An under rower, one who, who is uh, in the ship rowing the ship. And I think I have an image, Mike. Or I think Alyssa put an image in for me of an under rower. You probably have seen these images before. Of an under rower. One chained. And forced to row. One subordinate to a master. And there are five aspects of an under rower's work. And this is by Omar Garcia. Number one, an under rower had to row to the captain's beat. And we're called to live our lives according to the master's beat. Uh, the under rower had to, the under rowers had to row together. They worked together. An under rower had to trust the captain. We're called to trust the captain. An under rower was committed for life. And then an under-rower received no honor, no glory. So Paul says to have a humble view of church leaders is to view them as servants. Those directly subordinate to a higher master, an under-rower. Also, he says that that you're to, to view church leader, leaders as stewards, as stewards, not to view them as owners, but as those entrusted with the owner's things, with the owner's property, and here entrusted with the mysteries of God. So those who are church leaders are to be stewards of the mysteries of God. And some of you might be wondering, oh no, mystery, that, that means it's something I'm never going to be able to grasp or to understand. It's some sort of esoteric thing that's way up here. There's no way that I'm ever going to be able to understand these things unless I, maybe if I move out into the desert as a, as a hermit and meditate for years, then I'll finally discover God's mysteries. That's not the way that it works. The mystery is as simple as, as the child's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The mystery is as simple as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The, these mysteries, or the mystery... The, the mysteries of the simplicity of the gospel. That though we are sinners, there is a God who loves us, who sent His Son for us to die upon the cross, and who rose again to give us salvation. That is the mystery. That is the, the pinnacle of wisdom. It's also the foundation of our wisdom, but it's also the pinnacle of our wisdom in Christ is the message of the gospel. So, so church leaders are stewards, not owners of the message. 
of the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Church leaders are also to be faithful. Faithful. Faithful in their calling. Faithful to be servants. Faithful to preach the word. And then grounded, grounded in uh, the word of God. Now, I want us to notice today that worldly values are not important to Paul. Those who are dynamic speakers or powerful visionaries, they don't impress Paul. What is of value to God are those who lead with humility. Those who lead in the church with a servant's heart. Those who are faithful in their calling. Those who are faithful to God's word. Now think of all of the dynamic preachers that have flashed across our television screens. I remember as a kid, oftentimes the TV would be flipped on and we would see a dynamic and powerful speaker and visionary. The PTL Club, anybody remember that? And Jim and Tammy Baker. Dynamic speaker, powerful visionary. He built a, a theme park for Christians that rivaled only Disneyland. <laughs> Powerful speaker. Dynamic visionary. What happened? <laughs> Ended up in prison. So a humble church, a humble church has a correct view of leaders, leaders as servants, leaders as servants. And then number two, a humble church is not quick to pass judgment on leaders. A humble church is not quick to pass judgment on leaders. Now this does not mean that leaders are not held accountable. Leaders must be held, pastors must be held accountable. And right now in the media, there, there, are, there are reports of denominations who are trying to cover up and cover for pastors who have hurt, terribly harmed, innocent people. That should never be allowed in Christ's church. Leaders need to be held accountable. But sometimes we, we judge based on things that really aren't that critical. Alright, when a church leader sins, he or she needs to be held accountable. So we should have godly judgment of leaders. So we judge only by the standard of God's word. Is the pastor, is the leader, is the elder, is the trustee a humble servant? Does the leader faithfully manage the duties of the church? Is the leader faithful to God's word? Now the personality of the pastor isn't the main thing. You see, oftentimes we judge based on personality. Now charismatic leaders, they can be fun and they can be exciting. But even the not so charismatic among us have something of great value to offer the church. I remember times in my life in church 
or at Bible college when I fell asleep during sermons. Some of the speakers were really dynamic. They would captivate my attention. Other speakers, not so much. So what I had to learn is, is that, that the dynamic speaker, God had a message from that dynamic speaker, but he also had a message from that speaker that maybe would cause me to, to fall asleep. God was speaking through both of them. So I had to learn with those, with those teachers and Bible college or preachers that I heard in church that I needed to start paying attention to what they were saying. Pay attention to their words. Pay attention to the content of the message. And oftentimes I learned more and was more blessed by the less dynamic and charismatic speakers and leaders within the church. So sometimes we apply this worldly standard to leadership within the church. We need to understand that when God calls someone to preach and to lead, they can't do everything. They can't be the person you want them to be. But God has gifted them. God has gifted those people for a purpose. And they have something to instill within your life. So every pastor, every pastor who served Maple Park Church had a different personality, a different set of gifts, a different way in which to minister to our congregation. So we shouldn't be making favorites and judging based on those things that really don't matter. Certainly hold preachers and pastors accountable Because if they're not held accountable, great harm can be done to the church. So don't be quick to judge a pastor, certainly by his personality. Number three, point number three to a humble church, worldly glory means nothing. Worldly glory means nothing. I'm going to use a paraphrase to help us out here with these next verses, starting with verse six. And here Paul writes, I have used Paulus and myself as examples to illustrate what I've been saying. He says, you must not have favorites. You must not have favorites. You must not be proud of one of God's teachers more than another. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you're so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? You seem to think you already have all the spiritual food you need. You're all full and spiritually content, rich kings on your thrones, leaving us apostles far behind. He says, I wish you really were already on your thrones, for when that time comes, you can be sure that we will be there too, reigning with you. Sometimes I think God has put us apostles at the very end of the line. Very end of the line. Like prisoners soon to be killed, put on display at the end of a victor's parade, to be stared at by men and angels alike. To a humble church, worldly glory means nothing. To be a servant of Christ means that we don't take up positions high up here 
where we receive glory and honor and, and applause from people, but rather to be a servant of Christ is to take the lowliest position and to serve with humility. So to a humble church, worldly glory means nothing. It means nothing at all. And then point number four, a humble church follows mature leaders. A humble church follows mature leaders. Verse 14, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So Paul says, I'm here as a spiritual father to you. I'm a person who you can imitate. I'm a person who can set an example for you in the church. So we don't put just anyone in leadership in the church. We have to be very careful of who we put into leadership within our churches. We only put those in leadership who, who are worthy of imitating. Is there, is there character, a character that is worthy to be imitated? See, I believe that the, the front door to the church should be wide open. We should, we should allow all sorts of people into the church. But when it comes to leadership, the, the, the opening needs to be quite narrow. The opening needs to be quite narrow to those who show and to prove that their character is Christ-like. Does it mean that leaders are perfect? Does it mean that leaders never sin? No. Leaders are imperfect people. Even Paul said that he is the chief. He was the chief of sinners. But yet there's, there has to be a certain level of maturity. If we don't have a high standard for leaders, if the church chooses leaders based on personality, you know, a dynamic speaker, a visionary leader, rather than character, the church is deeply harmed. And we, we see that in scandals that are advertised even in national media. But the bottom line is this. Leaders who follow the leader are the leaders we ought to follow. Leaders who follow the, the leader are leaders we ought to follow. Now again, if you place any leader within the church next to Jesus, that leader can't compare can't compare to Jesus. You, you, you know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm next to Jesus, I'm pitiful. Because I'm not Jesus. Amen. But I pray that I would continue to learn. I pray that I would continue to humbly follow Jesus Christ. And by that, I could set an example for this congregation. So I pray that we would be faithful to follow Jesus in the ministry that he has called us to. He has called the local church to follow Christ. And he's appointed some to be leaders. And those leaders ought to be following the leader. And something interesting happens when we, when we follow Jesus. We said there, there's no glory, there's no applause in serving Christ. But something interesting happens when we follow Jesus. He, he does lead us 
to glory. He leads us to heaven. He leads us to an eternity where there's no heartache or pain or sorrow. So when we follow Jesus, he leads us to glory. But he leads us to glory through the cross. There is no glory. There is no heaven apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. So from Philippians, the second chapter, beginning with the eighth verse, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. Church, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, now Jesus came, true God, fully God, even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7 says, But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is one of the great passages of the Bible that speak of servanthood. The nature of Christ, but also what ought to be the nature of us who claim to be Christians. That we are called to humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself. And he became obedient to death on a cross. He went to the cross to serve you. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. Jesus could have taken his rightful place on a throne. Because he is the king of Israel. He is the rightful heir to the throne in Jerusalem. So he had every right to take a royal throne. A position of glory and honor. He had every right to to lord it over all of humanity. But when he came as a babe in Bethlehem's manger 2,000 years ago... He did not come to receive glory for himself. He came as a servant. To go to the cross. And upon the cross, he shed his blood. He shed his blood for you. He gave his life. He gave his life for you. So that today you can know that you have the forgiveness of all of your sins. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who believe in him, have received this promise of forgiveness. Free from guilt. Free from the shame of past sins and past mistakes. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failure. He doesn't see your lack of humble service. He doesn't see your inability to put others first. That's something that all of us struggle with. But rather, he sees the blood of Jesus. Your sins have been washed in his precious and holy blood. You're accepted in his sight today. Not because of anything that you have done. Not because of your own good works. But because Jesus, the humble servant, came for you. And it's from that that, uh, reality, from that freedom that we have in Jesus, the freedom from our sin, the freedom of guilt, that freedom that's ours, that we serve one another in love. We live humble lives. 
because of what Christ has done for us. So I want you today to think of somebody in the church who served as an example for you. Who in the church has served as an example for you? Who would you say has been an example of humble Christ-like service? Who is that person? I think of a couple that I grew up with in our church in Marysville. Some of you probably know this couple, Dave and Diane George. Anybody know Dave and Diane George? Some of you do. Uh, Dave and Diane George lived at, at Maple Park, or not Maple Park, but at Word of Life Church as servants. Serving Christ Church. The other day I, I saw a picture of them on Facebook and I laughed. They had these big ears on their profile picture. Because now Dave, he can't even drive now. Uh, Diane gets Dave into the car every week. And they go Wednesday nights to their kids club, to their adventure kids or their champs program, whatever it's called. And still after so many years, they go in every week and they serve and they give. They give of themselves. And if you're wondering why, why would they be wearing these big ears? Well, it was an illustration of being a hearer of God's word. Why would they put these ears on? Why would they serve in such a humble way and in such a loving way? Well, it's because of what Christ has done in their hearts and in their lives. May we serve Christ's church. May we serve our neighbors. May we serve one another. May we serve within our families out of gratitude for the life that Jesus has given to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for how you are working in your church today. We thank you for the things that you're doing here at Maple Park. You have brought us, Heavenly Father, from a place where we didn't know. We didn't know who you were. We didn't know what you had planned for us. You didn't know what your plan was for the ages and for eternity. But through the message of Jesus Christ, through the person of Jesus who was so humble to come and to serve, Lord, we too have received this great gift of forgiveness, of life, of freedom in you. And we thank you for this gift. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would now help us as we leave this place to go and to emulate Christ-like service. Give this to us, Holy Spirit, we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen. Amen.